If you are not hiding this morning in the cut rock of Christ, you are naked and exposed to the wrath and judgment of God. So please, please seek seek Christ this morning. Let's go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 3. We'll have our scripture reading this morning. Hebrews chapter 3, I'm going to read a little bit of what we looked at last week and then continue on into chapter 4 because it's just a continuation. It's really hard not to, it's really hard to separate it, I should say. Uh, We start in chapter 3 verse 7 of Hebrews and I'm going to read until verse 14 of Chapter 4, Hebrews 3, starting in verse 7. Let me read. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to test and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12, take care, brothers. That's the end of the quotation there. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, quotation, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. End quote. Now, back in 16, for we... Were those who heard, or for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all of those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief verse or chapter 4 verse 1 therefore while the promise of entering his rest still stands let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it this is where we begin our text this morning for good news came to us just as to them but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened For we who had believed entered that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, 
and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rest from his works as God did from his. Verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account Verse 14, our final verse. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. And now a quick prayer. Our Lord God, may your spirit enlighten, guide, uh, reveal to us the truth of your word here in Hebrews 4. Might Christ be exalted in our minds and our hearts And might we be made more like him through that knowledge and then also taking it out into the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so for any of y'all that missed last week, I've got to give some backup information here for chapter 4 to even make sense. And so it's good for us to kind of have an understanding of what's being talked about at the end of chapter 3. And the, the preacher or the writer of Hebrews uh, brings up an Old Testament passage from David in the Psalms. And, he, and David in the Psalms writes or speaks of Israel on their way to the promised land. After leaving Egypt, after leaving Mount Sinai, they are headed to the promised land where God had promised to take Israel from Abraham. Long story short, they get to the edge, they send out spies, Uh, of the spies, two of them say, let's take it, the other ones say, they're giants, their walls are fortified, we can't take it, let's go back. And in that moment, what we see from uh, from the Psalm of David is God was provoked with that generation at that time and says they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. Israel decided not to go forward into the land that was promised them because of, as we saw in this passage, their unbelief. Their unbelief in God's word and his promise in the place he was taking them which was a place of rest. Consider where they'd been for the last 400 years. As slaves, no rest. Even even coming from uh, Egypt to the edge of Canaan. No, uh, they were struggling. But he was bringing them as what 
David says in this psalm, to a place of rest. But yet God did not allow them into this rest because of their unbelief. And we see that their unbelief come, came from their evil, unbelieving heart. And it showed itself forward and manifested itself in disobedience. So that's kind of the backstory. But then in the end of chapter 3, he warns us not to fall in that same trap. He warns us to take care of one another so that we don't, uh, we're not deceived by sin. That we aren't, um, we don't develop this evil, unbelieving heart. That we don't fall away. So we get to chapter 4, verse 1. And we hear something. The first, depending on the way your Bible's translated, it might have it one way and I'm going to say it another. But the thing we see first in chapter, chapter 4, verse 1, is that this rest that, that's being talked about in Hebrews 3, it's still there. It still exists. The promise to enter this rest, namely God's rest, still exists. This gate is still open. The path into the promised land is still open. And this is how it starts in chapter 4. It's, it's telling us the promise of entering God's rest still stands. So we have to understand that, number one. The second thing is what's rest? Is it just the promised land? We're not going to Canaan. We're not crossing the Jordan physically. What's rest? Well, just quickly, here's here. if you want to understand rest, kind of break it up into two categories. Physical, meaning we're going to go take a nap and have rest, right? Spiritual, we're going to take a spiritual nap. We're going to have, uh, we're going to be uh, rested in our souls, physical and spiritual. But what I want to really, what we focus on here in this passage is the spiritual. Having an understanding understanding of spiritual rest. And there's two ways it's going to be spoken of in this passage. A present rest. The present rest that you have in Christ. Meaning, when Jesus says, come to me all who are heavy laden, who are burdened, by their work, I will give you rest. Meaning, you can stop trying to make your way to God through your good deeds, by your efforts, by your whatever you're trying to do to please God in order to justify yourself before Him. Stop it and take an eternal break and find present rest in me. For He says, my yoke is easy and light. And we find rest, present rest in Christ. When we're united by faith to Christ, the blood of Christ covers us, the righteousness of, of Christ uh, justifies us before God, we, know we, can, we can set aside the toil and the work of trying to please God by who we are and what we do. That's a present rest in Christ. But we're also going to see of a final rest, and I don't mean the grave, but I mean a final rest as in 
if you're familiar with the 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 doctrine of eschatology, it's in the end times. It's the study of the last things. Well, there's an eschatological rest, which means it's a final rest. It's a rest in the end, and that rest in the end is when you find yourself in the presence of God. Now, I don't mean for those who have passed away or those who will pass away in the future. I mean when God himself comes back to the earth and he recreates. We have a new heaven, a new earth. The the dead in Christ rise and we see him and we are like him. There is no need of sun or moon or external light because the glory of God shines so bright and we are in his presence. And that will be our final rest. That's also talked about here. So this is a long introduction and just bear with me. So we have to think about really quickly your current relationship to rest your current relationship to rest and i'm just going to lay these out here and we'll probably kind of touch them as we go by throughout this this passage some of you have a present rest in christ some of you have had your burden fall off and christ bore your burden upon the cross and now you bear the light an easy yoke of Jesus, and you have present rest in Christ. Some of you have that. Some of you are working and not resting. Some of you are, and you might not even realize that you're doing it, but that you go day by day, and you might even call yourself a Christian. And we have to understand, this is kind of the point of Hebrews is that he's delivering a message to people who call themselves Christians. And so the warning comes to those who call themselves Christians. And so some of you might be finding yourself in a place where you name the name of Christ, you call yourself Christian, but yet faith does not exist. You don't trust and believe the actual work and promises of Christ. And you're over here trying to build a ladder to God. While saying, Jesus has done it for me, you're over here working to build a ladder. Some of you have not found the present rest. Now, none of us has seen the final rest, obviously. Some are in a present rest in Christ. Some are working and ignoring a rest in Christ. And ultimately, that connection to rest in Christ, as I've already said, is through faith, trusting believing, depending on. And what we're going to see, and we'll just look at verse 15, I'm sorry, 12. What we're going to see is that all of this that we're going to talk about is dependent or found itself back to, we're going to keep coming back to uh, faith, trust, dependence on the Word of God. Okay? And when I say word of God, I mean it in two ways. I mean the word of God as in the words that are written in scripture. And I also mean the word of God as in in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus. When we talk about the word 
We can see it as in words, but we can also see it as Christ, the Son of God, made flesh, the Word. Okay, so we're going to keep coming back to that as we look at it. Look how, look what, how we finished this section in verse 12, 13, and 14. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, most of you love this verse and have heard people quote it and be like, yes, the Word of God is living and active, but I have to make sure that you actually hear what the Word of God is doing. For some of us, it is a marvelous thing. For others, it is an extreme terrifying thing. Listen to what this living and active Word of God is doing. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrows, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Uh Uh-oh. Hopefully not my heart. Hopefully not my thoughts, my intentions. Verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. If you are working and not finding rest in Christ, you might be deceiving others. You might even be deceiving yourselves, but the word of God will find you out. Verse 14, and just in a, in, a, in a change in topic, it seems like a change in topic, but he goes and talks about the word incarnate, the word that became flesh. Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, the Word of God, made flesh. So that, that is what, where we find our rest, is faith in the Word of God made flesh. Okay, so all of that. Now here's the roadmap, and this is how we're going to f- work through this passage. And I'll give you, I'll, I'll, I'll confess, this has always been a difficult chapter for me because it feels like whoever, it feels like my preaching sometimes. Like it's like back and forth, back, like you keep saying the same thing over and again, but I don't really understand what you're trying to say, but you just keep saying it again over and over again and kind of going back and forth, back and forth. But so it's always been a difficult passage for me, but I think as if we follow this roadmap, it will help us to understand what's being communicated here. Keeping in the back of our mind Israel and their failure to enter God's rest. And keeping in mind what ultimately God's rest is. So here's our roadmap. Number one, fear of failing to enter God's rest. And now, mind you, this is, this is an exhortation to the to the community of God, the the church, okay? So, number one, we're going to see a fear of failing to enter God's rest. Number two, we're going to see a hope and promise of God's rest. So, fear failure, a hope in the promise. Number three, our striving in faith to an eternal rest. And number four, you're like, oh, man, he's he's still going. Holding fast to the source that brings us rest. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll hit all those again. So if you didn't get them that time, we'll come back to them. So number one, fear of failing to enter God's rest. That sounds like a bad thing. Like we should not have that. 
a fear of failing to enter God's rest. So give me all the assurance, Luke, of that I am going to enter into God's rest. Well, that's not what the guy in verse 1 is actually telling you. He's actually commanding you to fear, which is really kind of takes you back because we've all heard, isn't there 365 times the Bible says fear not for 365 days? That's probably true. I've never gone and, and tested that out. And that exhortation of fear not is godly and so needed. But the writer of Hebrews, the inspired writer of Hebrews, tells us, to fear. Let's just read verse 1. Like I said, yours might kind of have this flip-flopped, but that's okay. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. Let us fear lest, lest, if ever you see the word lest, guys, you just insert so, so that this doesn't happen kind of thing. So let us fear so that none of us should seem to have failed to reach it, or lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So what are we talking about here? The writer of Hebrews gives the community of Christ, the body of Christ, a command to fear. Fear what? To fear that someone among our community, someone sitting in these pews, will fail to enter God's rest. We must be fearful that one of us would fail to enter God's rest. And you're like, well, that's not going to happen to me. Well, the whole point of chapter 3 is to tell you it can happen to you. If it happened to Israel, it can happen to you. That's the thing we got to keep in mind, that this isn't just some... Uh, like, what do you call it uh, when, you, when you set the fire alarm for a test? What do they call those? Drill. drill. This isn't just like a drill for us to work through and be like, oh, just in case. The danger is here. That is the point of this section. It's the point of Hebrews. Is that the danger that someone in this room will fail to enter God's rest. And that someone will be someone who calls themselves a Christian today. That should cause fear among us. Now, the way the word is used, the way the word is written, that Greek word for fear, in this section, the way it's put into the sentence, uh, the commentator says that it is spoken in a way for us to change from our old way of life or our old way of thinking to a new way. So as this very moment, as I stand before you and I read this passage, I want us to stop thinking that we're all going to heaven and that we start thinking that I want to take care of you, my brother, my sister, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. And you're like, that sounds familiar. That's verse chapter 3, verse 12. Take care that there be none among us with an evil, unbelieving heart, being deceived by sin, being led to unbelief. Let us stop 
having living in the clouds, thinking that everything's going well because we all say the same things and we all come to the same place and we all sing the same songs and we all read the same Bible. No, we must stand firm and guard for one another. Let us fear for the soul of the person sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you. You're like, I don't even know the people in here. That's your fault. Shame on you. Shame on me for not knowing you better. If we actually are going to take this command to fear, lest any of us, what? Fall away, fail to reach that rest. I forgot my sentence, but let's not do that. move on flip to Romans 11 to help us define this fear Romans 11 verse So Paul is writing to the Romans and he's reminding them not to be arrogant in their position in Christ as Gentile as a, as a group of Gentiles. Basically he says God's gotten re- God's removed one group of people from himself Israel don't get so puffed up that he that you don't think he won't do it to you. And there's a lot loaded in there, and if you Romans 10:11 is really it's it's a lot. But what I want you to see is the mindset that Paul is attacking, that he is criticizing, and how it plays into fear and in a good fear. Uh, let, let's just read it. Um, I'm sorry, I said 28. It's 18. Let's start at 18. The, the illustration of the branches is that um, you could be cut away. Just understand that. You could be a branch that's, that's cut away and thrown out. Verse 18. Do not be arrogant towards the, bran- uh, towards the branches. That would be Israel. If you remember, it is not you who support the root but the root supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. Israel was broken off because of their unbelief. The Gentiles were grafted in like a, like a, uh, um, like a wild branch grafted in. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. Do not become proud, but fear. Back at verse 18, he says what? Do not be arrogant. And he ends by saying, do not be 
proud. So when we think of fear, and, and the writer of Hebrews, so let's go back to chapter 4 of Hebrews. When the writer of Hebrews tells you to fear, when the rest of the Bible tells you to fear not, maybe you can consider it and think of it in the sense of the opposite of arrogance. Stop being arrogant. Be humble. Stop being prideful of who you are. And remember you are who you are because of someone else. Namely God through Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is. And, and what we don't want to do when we talk about fear is to remove the actual name, the actual word and say, Oh, well you're not supposed to fear God. You're just supposed to just, you know be whatever, humble or in reverence. Yeah, all those things, but fear the Lord. Fear not man, but fear the one who can send your body and soul into hell. Fear him. But I do think it's helpful for us to think about Romans 11 and to think of if we are not fearful... If we are not fearful of God, and, and, and if we're fearful of Him, we're looking up to Him, and we're down low, we're humbled, right? And so if, if we're exalting God, and we're fearing Him, and we're humbling ourselves, then what, what, it, it, it becomes much easier for us to care for one another, to be concerned about one another, So here, here's what a lack of fear leads to for a, a, a confessing Christian. If you are here today, I have good, good reason to believe you say you're a Christian. So this is a danger for you. A lack of fear leads to, obviously, arrogance. But what does that ultimately lead to? If you do not fear God, if you become prideful and arrogant, you will set Jesus aside in your daily life. You will set him aside as if he's an ornament. Well, I'm going to work. I don't really need that. And it might not be consciously that you're doing it. But you're. I'm going to work. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to earn my money. I'm going to take care of my family. And Christ is nowhere to be found. Because you are going to go to work. And you are going to earn your money. And you are going to take care of your family. Your pride and arrogance has set Christ aside. And it has put faith in the toilet. Your decisions that you make at home... Or at work. Decisions in general. Pride and arrogance leads to, well, I'm going to figure out the right decision to make. And you set aside the wisdom of God. And when you do those things, it sucks you into this world. Right? Into this whirlwind, this whirlpool of the world. And you just start spinning and spinning and spinning. And you don't even realize that you're going around the world. And you've set aside Christ. 
This is the deceitfulness of sin. It's deceitful. You don't even know it. Because you came to church today. And you'll come to church next Sunday. You might even read your Bible this week. But you're in the whirlpool of, of, of deceitful sin. And you're just seeing everything that you can see of the world. And Christ is just gone. And in that, so you set Jesus aside in the daily life. And what does that lead to? It just leads to yourself. Just yourself. This is self-focused. And so when you do come to church, you're deceived by your worship. Your worship has become self-focused. Christ has not even been a thought. All you sing his name and you say, in the name of Jesus... But when your pride and arrogance boils up into your life, you walk into church to worship only concerned about what you get or who sees you here. And then, of course, you can't come into this community, this building, this fellowship, and not think that that's going to have an effect on the people around you and your relationships with them. This is what happens when we do not fear God and we become arrogant. We become full of pride. And that brings us back to chapter, the beginning of chapter 2 in Hebrews. What is this? This is a drift. This is a drift. What happens with that drift? Let's just flip back a page. Chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 1 of Hebrews. What happens with this drift? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels provided to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just just retribution. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Pride and arrogance pushes that great salvation, pushes Jesus aside, and you're drifting away, not even knowing it. You're headed to the end of the waterfall, and you don't even realize you're about to fall off. So, we get back to the command. Fear for one another. Fear for your brother and sister in Christ. Fear for the body lest any of us should fail to reach the promised rest, the presence of God. And you think, well, if I do that, they're not going to like me. The presence of God. If, if, I, if I try to put myself out there, I'm going to be embarrassed. The presence of God. If I, if I bring up to them uh, their... The, Their sin, the presence of God, this is what is at stake. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. Fear presses us. The fear of God presses us away from arrogance and pride to faith. Right? The fear, I'm sorry, faith and pride cannot coexist. They're, they're mutually exclusive because faith is what? Depending on. 
trusting in. Pride is, I got it. Pride is independent. Faith is dependent. So when we fear the Lord, it presses us towards dependency on Him. And that, that's, that's, the, that's what He says to us in verses 2 and 3. For good news came to us just as to them. So the good news of entering in God's rest has come to us just as it came to Israel. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith. They did not believe. They did not trust. And the crazy part is, is they saw. They saw and didn't believe. You've never seen. So do you think the warning for us might be a little bit more extreme? And that's why Jesus tells Thomas, you've seen and believed, but blessed are those who believe and do not see. Blessed are you eternally. Faith and rest, on the other hand, are inseparable. I didn't read the rest of it. Verse 3 in Hebrews 4. For we who have believed, we who have faith, enter that rest. Enter the presence of God. And faith and rest are inseparable. Faith and rest are inseparable. So, you know what it's like to ride in a car with that crazy driver. Right? You know what it's like when they're driving crazy and you're hanging on. And there ain't nothing restful. There's not a restful muscle or bone in your body. Right? Uh, when I was... Uh, in children's ministry, we were taking the kids somewhere. I don't remember where it was. And we had two buses going. And a parent called. Of course, they were they did not have rest about their kid traveling four hours in a bus somewhere else. And they weren't going to be in there. They didn't trust the drivers. So you know what they did? They called another parent who was connected to the whole thing. And they, they said... I'm just a little concerned about, you know, the trip up there. Do you know who's driving? And the lady was like, yeah, it's a, a Marine and a state trooper. And she's like, okay, I'm okay. And she hangs up the phone and there's like not another thought about it. It's like my kid's being driven to camp by a Marine and a state trooper. I'm at rest. Your rest is equivalent or equals to that whom you – that. The, let, me, let me back this up. The quality of your rest. The quality of your rest equals to the quality in whom you trust. You trusted in me Sunday by Sunday? Sorry. You trusted in your spouse day by day? Sorry. You're going to be exhausted. But trust in God. And the quality of your rest skyrockets. 
is exponential. Trust and fear, faith and fear go together and bring you rest. Right? Now, let's move forward. Hope in the promise. He changes, he changes his tune a little bit to bring hope. Verse 4. For he has spoken somewhere of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And God, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of unbelief. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's back in chapter 3. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. This is the section in this passage that's always thrown me for loops because it just it feels so crazy to me in how it's written. And it's always been my lack of understanding. So here's what I want you to understand. Hope. God tells us to fear failing to enter rest, but then he gives you hope in the midst of that fear. So here's how it begins. Number one, if you find yourself outside of God's rest today, here's some good news. The promise still remains. The door is still open to the rest, to rest in God, to his presence, to his promise. It is still open. Look what he says. He says it in verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. Are you of that some? Are you classified in the some who will enter his rest? If you find that you are outside of it, he says that it is appointed that today is the day to enter into that rest. Well, what's tomorrow? Tomorrow. Today. What's today? Today. It's today. So guess what? Today, you have the opportunity to enter in the rest of God through Christ Jesus and be ushered in by the work of Christ to the presence of God and a final rest. Today. Paul says it in Corinthians, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So if you find yourself as the person that he's warning against of an evil, unbelieving heart falling away from the living God, the reality is, is today is the day that you come out of that. You come away from that. You be given a new heart. And how? By faith, by trusting, by believing in who Christ is and what he has done. And you have rest now and be promised a hope of an eternal rest. In the, on the last day. Hope in the promise of God's rest to those who are outside of it right now. But us also to those who find themselves slowly being hardened right now. 
If the Lord is pressing upon you that, yes, I don't know, maybe this is me. Maybe I am the one who, who is being deceived by sin. Well, the good news stands for even, just as it did for the person who find them outside of God's rest. Repent and believe and turn. And be brought back. Of course, this is hope to us as a body. We come together every Sunday, morning and evening, Sometimes on Wednesdays, sometimes on Saturdays, maybe even at one another's houses. We come together in hope of promise that we will rest finally in the presence of God. And that it will come. But verse 9, there's a word in verse 9 that's used nowhere else in the Bible. It's deceiving because the English word is used many times in the Bible. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Or just your, your version might just say rest. That Greek word means an observance or celebration of Sabbath. It doesn't just mean that we'll find rest one day in the end when we see God but that there will be a celebration when we see Him. When we come into the presence of God and have complete rest, we only have complete rest when we come into the complete presence of God. And if you think that resting means you can't sing or shout or fall to your knees, you got another thing coming. But when you come into the complete presence of God, you come in complete rest and in complete praise. Because there's no other way to come into his presence. He says in verse 10, For whoever has entered God's rest, who enters God's presence, has also rested from his work as God did from his and then he also says, oh, I'm sorry, I missed it. Nine, at the, the end of nine. So that there remains a Sabbath rest, who? For the people of God. And Hebrews 2 explained to us who the people of God are. They're the children of God, the brothers and sisters of Christ. They're the heirs of God. They are born of God. They are the seed of God. And might I just mention this quickly? The children of God are born how? They are born not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding Word of God. Sounds very familiar. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So I'm going to... Shorten verse, uh, our third and fourth spot on the roadmap and bring them together. Let's read verse 11. Let us therefore... Do you keep seeing that word us? I cannot overemphasize how much the author of Hebrews stresses us, a community, a people, not an individual... Let us therefore strive to enter his rest, that rest, so that no one may fall by the same 
sort of disobedience. We are called to work while we rest. We are called to work while we rest. That word strive in that verse means to make effort, to labor, to do speedily. As we are saved by faith, we know that our faith is never alone. Go read Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. We're saved by grace, not of our, our own works, right? It's a gift of God, right? So that no one might boast, right? And then what does he tell us to do after that? Go and do good works. We rest, I'm, I'm sorry, we work while we rest in Christ. And notice we do it together. Saving faith not only, I'm sorry, saving faith isn't alone in that you see good works, but saving faith also isn't alone as in you surround yourself with other people of faith. Striving together, united in the body of Christ. Now, if I had time and I don't and you're like, hurry up. There's a reason why we do two things. And if you do not do these two things and you do not do them rightly, you are not considered a church. Do you know what those two things are? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. If we wholeheartedly strive to participate biblically in the Lord's Supper and baptism, we would be doing, we would be ahead of the game in taking care of one another. Since I've been here, we've done the Lord's Supper a little bit differently. We, it was different because of COVID. You know, people come up and grab and go back. Another family come, grab, go back, the elements. We haven't gone back to passing out the plate of, of the bread and the cup. And I, there's an intentionality behind that. Because when you stand up to come and take the bread and the cup, you tell the people sitting around you, I am your brother and sister. I, I need you to take care of me. I need you to watch my back. I need you to say, hey, remember last Sunday that you walked up and took that bread and that cup? Why are you acting like this now? Remember your confession. Hold fast to what you said when you came and took that bread and that cup. You said that this is the body of Christ broken for me. The blood of Christ shed for me. So brother, why are you acting that way? Sister, why would you talk gossip about that person? Why are, you, why are you resting on that material thing? You rest in the blood and the body of Christ. You don't need what the world offers you to medicate you, to change you. You don't need the stuff that the world gives you because you've got the body and blood of Christ and you partook of that. Now remember that. And then baptism, which on June 5th we're going to baptize Layla and partake of the Lord's Supper together. We're going to do these two things together. And what she's going to do is she's going to be submersed into the water. And she's going to come out. And she's it's a proclamation that she is confessing with us 
that she is a brother or a sister in Christ. And we acknowledge that and say, yes, and now we are going to take care lest you be deceived, lest you have an evil, unbelieving heart. That's why we do. That's why Jesus said, do these things. And so we have if we take them seriously. And we seek to do them biblically from a a pure heart. We got a leg up on this. We're already moving in the right direction. And then we have to get to know one another more and more. And all the while, verse 14, holding fast to our confession, which is just simply, what are we confessing? What are we holding on to? Christ. If you're going to go to work for Christ, you need a good grip on him, right? You can't do work unless you've got a good grip. And you can't do the work for Christ unless you've got a good grip on Christ. And so seek Him and hold on to Him and don't let go of Him. And I don't mean that in some weird way. I mean that as in you go and feed upon Him daily. And go to your knees to Him daily. So in conclusion, let's fear so that not even one of us will fail to enter God's rest, reminding one another to be humble, warning one another not to be arrogant, reminding each other that faith is humble. Let us remember the hope we have in God's word, that he keeps his word, that he keeps his promises, and that we have a promise of future rest in the presence of God. Let us remember that each Let us remind each other that striving in faith is our calling, our duty. Holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling. We share in Christ. And let us together hold on to Christ with all that we are and all that we have. Nothing in our hands. If that song could be better. Nothing in our hands do we cling. But simply to the cross we cling. And if you find yourself outside of that fellowship, outside of that rest, join us by believing in Christ. By calling upon Him, trusting in Him, turning from your sins, being baptized into the body of Christ. And we will have you and exalt you and care for you. Let's sing.